This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. We also host an annual conference, a five-day experience of transformation, held in August each year in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today I speak with Dorothea Hover-Kramer. Dorothea has been a psychotherapist in private practice for over 30 years and combines her career as a psychologist with a background as a clinical nurse specialist. She co-founded the International Association for Comprehensive Energy Psychology and is also the author of five books about energy therapies, including Second Chance at Your Dream, Engaging Your Body's Energy Resources for Optimal Aging, Creativity, and Health. Which sounds true, Dorothea is the author of a new book on healing touch, essential energy medicine for yourself and others. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Dorothea and I spoke about the biofield and how the healing touch practitioner interacts with the patient's biofield for healing, and also how this field changes in someone who is transitioning into death. We also spoke about the scientific evidence for energy medicine and how healing touch is a practice that absolutely anyone can learn. Here's my conversation with Dorothea Hover-Kramer. There are so many things that are interesting to me about healing touch, but one of them is that here's an energy medicine modality that is considered credible. It's not considered flaky or or woo-woo. I mean, in fact, more than 100,000 people have attended at least one class in Healing Touch. And so I'm curious, Dorothea, how is it that Healing Touch is considered such a credible form of a practice that many people think is pretty far out, the practice of energy medicine? Well, I'm I'm thinking of the roots of um, energy medicine uh, in the early days of um, therapeutic touch. Of course, uh, the uh, followers of uh, Dolores Krieger were called Krieger's Crazies back in the 70s. Uh-huh. Since that, there have been many discoveries, such as the reality of the electromagnetic fields. The idea that fields interconnect and communicate is uh, certainly well-known in the 21st century, and the idea that we can communicate beyond visible means is also um, very real. Uh, Most of us have cell phones or some form of electronic communication that does not require a specific wire or cord or something visible, but yet we can have um, instant communications. So the idea that we can connect energetically from our own electromagnetic field to another person's field seems much more acceptable. And uh, over time, of course, practices like therapeutic touch and healing touch have proven themselves because um, people do experience remarkable relief. And some of the experiences people have is relief of pain, uh, relief of anxiety, increased relaxation, uh, increased sense of personal efficacy, of personal uh, insight, and um, for some people, actually measurable effects in their immune system uh, and coping, uh, physiological as well as psychological coping mechanisms. So. There are many effects, and over time it just seems that these effects have uh, led a wave of people to accept energy therapies, energy medicine modalities in its various forms, much more than um, in the past. 
and it's not everyone, but certainly an increasing portion of the American population is um, oriented toward uh, what we call complementary or integrative health care, where we're bringing in new concepts such as um, the use of uh, uh, non-physical, non-medical interventions. So Healing Touch is just one of many of these um, complementary modalities, but it has a very fine uh, training program. It has wonderful practitioners, and I think over time the word has just gotten out that this this um, approach works. <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting. Maybe it is the training program, because really part of what my question's driving at is it seems that of all of the energy healing modalities, healing touch is the one that has been the most accepted in the world of nurse practitioners and traditional medicine as a whole. Yes, and with that also um, increasing numbers of lay people from all disciplines of life. Interestingly, we get many people who have been involved with computer sciences who shift to healing touch because they feel the, the high-tech world doesn't give them much in the way of uh, warm fuzzies or, um, you know, insightful rewards and uh, being able to help someone in need or being able to balance one's own energy field as we teach in Healing Touch just seem to be very powerful tools needed in this high-tech world of ours. Okay, so let's get into how Healing Touch actually works. I'm I'm interested in two parts of this. First, Mm -hmm. what the Healing Touch practitioner actually does. So if you were, you know, videotaping from the outside, how a Healing Touch practitioner worked on somebody, what are they actually doing? And then secondly, I'm interested in what the mechanism is, how you understand Mm -hmm. how Healing Touch creates its positive effects. Right. So what you would see in watching a Healing Touch practitioner First of all, a very careful attention to uh, client comfort, in other words, making sure the person in need is comfortable, and then uh, exquisite attention to practitioner readiness, and that would be in the form of, of a centering practice. So in Healing Touch, we teach centering, which is usually done with some kind of mental imagery, a deep breath, a sense of setting one's intention on behalf of the client for the highest good. And uh, with practice, uh, initially that may take five minutes for an early practitioner. Over time, it's more like 30 to 60 seconds. But there's definitely a a shift from conscious hello to the client to the inward uh, greeting and acknowledging of the practitioner. So you'll see the practitioner centering himself or herself uh, for a a visible period of time. You'll then notice that um, there is an attention to the client's energy field, not physical body, but rather the field around the physical body beginning assessment of the field with the hands to notice where there is a shift, where something is cooler or denser or where something is a little bit hotter or intense or where there's a big bump in the field sometimes and sometimes there's a big dip in the field. Ideally, a healthy uh, energy field is pretty pretty much oval uh, and full like like an egg would be. So the, the picture the the client's body sort of in the middle of this big egg-shaped shaped, um, field. And so the practitioner begins to assess the field, noticing where the differences are, and then begins to uh, work specifically with the hands over the area that is a little bit uh, out of uh, sync with the rest of the field, or if it's the whole field, the practitioner's hands might move in the whole field slowly as if to clear out uh, with the fingers like little magnets, just pulling out whatever needs to be released from that area or that specific part of the body. So there's a pulling out or a gentle movement uh, toward 
the feet and off uh, to release any tension or congestion. And then a gentle repatterning or refocusing where the hands might be just still over the specific area, just holding the hands still. Again, the intention of the practitioner is simply for the client's field, client's body, mind, and spirit to move to whatever is needed for its maximum functioning. So we don't really have a set intention for an outcome on the part of the practitioner, but rather we have a relationship of a healthy, centered field of the practitioner to the uh, impeded or, or congested field of the client. Often, initially, in healing touch practice, the work is with patients in hospital settings or hospice settings or nursing home settings or in places where people are receiving some kind of physical care more recently, um, the care of the practitioner is in an outpatient setting. Uh, it might be a private clinic, it might be an integrative health care center, or it might be a practitioner's private practice. So that's what you'll see. Now, in answer to your question about how it works, uh, if you could give me a million dollars for that one, I'd be grateful, and nobody really knows the full answer as of this time. However, we have some hints, and some of the hints we're getting, interestingly, are coming from really hardcore science. Um, Thirty-five years ago, uh, Herbert Benson uh, quantified and qualified the practice of uh, meditation uh, and showed that meditation significantly influenced people to have um, shifts toward uh, more self-control, um, increased sense of well-being, more relaxation, less anxiety, and sometimes less pain. And that was well documented, except nobody knew quite how. Uh, a year or so ago, uh, some studies with the actual uh, interaction of the genetic sheath, the sheath around the genetic strands of DNA, actually showed that the sheath around the strand of genetic material releases when the person is more relaxed. Hence, you have shifts in actual body uh, functioning at the cellular level. So you begin to see the strands of DNA opening up to release um, uh, chemicals such as endorphins, to release uh, healing patterns that uh, then cascade to other cells in a specific part of the body. So that has actually been shown now with scientific evaluation that there is a significant uh, shift whenever a person is relaxed, as they would be when they're receiving an energy intervention, such as I was describing, to begin to open up to their own self-healing process. Herbert Benson coined the term remembered wellness, and I think that might be an effective description of what happens. The uh, more energized or more integrated field of the practitioner, in the presence of this centered practitioner with a more depleted field of the client, actually begins to cause an energetic shift or jump-starts an energetic shift so that the client himself remembers wellness. The client system, which is um, innately wired for well-being, begins to become activated. So that's one of the most current theories uh, that we have. Uh, there are others, of course, such as uh, there's a placebo effect, and there's nothing to be denied about the impact of a, a caring person's presence at the time of an accident or an emergency or when one is in physical distress. So certainly there seem to be elements of just that caring presence communicating something of value. So those are some of the concepts I would put out, the idea of remembered wellness, the idea of uh, opening of the uh, genetic or expression we call gene expression 
epigenetic uh, uh, gene expression uh, caused by the presence of the practitioner or just plain uh, placebo effect. Now, it's interesting because I was going to ask you about the placebo effect. I thought I was asking as a, a skeptic, but you don't seem at all defensive about that, meaning I know from my own experience, if I'm upset or freaked out or even not feeling well, if I sit with someone, they don't have to pass their hands through my energetic field, just sitting with them, being in their presence, often I feel a lot better afterwards. That's an excellent observation, Tammy. And that's exactly what I experience. Uh, I'm both a nurse and a psychotherapist. And very often people will just tell me, well, your presence, it isn't anything you did or said. In fact, most of my clients can't remember what I said. <laughs> <laughs> but they remember who, who I am. Uh, my presence, and I always work to be um, as focused as possible when I'm present with a client or somebody who is ill. And so that's um, that's a huge area. One that medical science um, really needs to study is what I call the opposite of the placebo effect, and that would be the nocebo effect, the impact of a negative statement or a negative diagnosis, or a negative prejudgment on uh, people around us. I think those are very, very uh, much uh, an issue, and um, I'd like to see more studies on that, but the placebo effect has been pretty well established, that there is something very uh, positive and calming when, when one is in the presence of a caring other person. There have been other studies, by the way, about uh, the presence of a practitioner and the use of the hands uh, around a client's field, and that was done by a man named Dr. John Zimmerman, who, who actually measured the electromagnetic emanations from the hands of therapeutic touch practitioners. And those electromagnetic emanations from the hands at a distance were exactly the same hertz frequency as the emanations that are currently being used in the pulsed electromagnetic uh, frequency instruments that are used to facilitate uh, non-union bone healing. Huh. So that's a fascinating reality, that the emissions from a trained practitioner's hands can be as powerful uh, or on a similar uh, frequency as the emissions from an actual instrument that's currently being used in medicine. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about this energetic field that the healing touch practitioner is working with in a client. How, how big is it? How far does it extend? Does the healing touch practitioner feel layers of it, colors? What's their experience? <laughs> well, it, again, it varies a great deal. Most practitioners, in my experience, I've been teaching Healing Touch for 20 years, um, most practitioners experience uh, a kinesthetic sense of the client's field. And that sense would be um, a sense of a, a pulsation, a tingle, uh, a warmth. Um, you know, it's, it's subtle, but it's, it's about what you would feel uh, when you very lightly touch, touch say the the fur of a of an animal, you know that very very light uh, pulsation, almost um, uh, in tingle in the hands. Uh, that is what what most practitioners will report. Some people do see colors, uh, and uh, that would be called clairvoyance. Some people hear. Uh, that's called clairaudience, but none of that is required uh, of a healing touch practitioner. What we require of a healing touch practitioner is the centered state and the willingness to attend fully to whatever the client's experience is. And I think that attention, uh, that willingness to just offer presence is, is the healing communication. It's uh, what I call compassion in action. Mm -hmm. And what's your understanding of the relationship of this field? I know in Healing Touch you call it the biofield. What's the relationship of the biofield to the physical body? 
Well, it, again, this is hard to describe um, because we're talking about a non-material form. Uh, we we know that um, the physical body is uh, largely water, although most people tend to think of their bodies as as more solid, but actually the body is over 80% water. And most people don't readily grasp that, let alone the fact that there are electromagnetic energy flows in and through the body. So the biofield, as we understand it, is generated by the um, energy centers uh, within the body, the uh, meridian pathways, and the whole interaction of the electromagnetic flows uh, which are present in the body in addition to the, um, say, blood flows, lymphatic flows, uh, neural pathways, and so forth. So Western medicine is based so much on what, was, what could be dissected uh, from cadavers that it's hard for us to grasp the more Eastern concept of how it all flows and interacts. So the idea that we have an energy field that surrounds the physical body, extends out approximately, oh, two to three feet, and some people more and some people less, uh, but also interpenetrates and actually is an instant messaging system, uh, electromagnetic in nature. That's, that's a little hard for us to, to grasp because we've been so tied to the anatomical textbook that says this is what a neuron looks like, this is what a blood cell is, this is what a bone is, and so forth, and to realize that how it how it works, how it interacts, is vibrantly different from uh, just what you get out of a, a dissecting uh, a dead body. And that vibrant interaction that we call the chi, or the, the life force, uh, the prana in the um, Eastern Indian traditions. That vital life force, the breath of life, is uh, something that is totally different from uh, how a person looks when they are deceased. That's about the most dynamic difference I can point out. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody who is alive has an electromagnetic field. Uh, has uh, energy centers, has energy pathways, meridian flows, and so forth. Uh, someone who's deceased, what is missing is that vital life force and those flow pathways. And um, everyone who has seen a dead body will know what I'm talking about. There is a vibrant difference. It's not just color either. It's it's uh, the vitality. It's the reality of flows that are way beyond uh, just the material body. It's interesting that you're bringing up uh, a cadaver, because I know one of the ways that healing touch has proven very helpful is helping people make the transition through death. And I'm curious, what's it like working with the biofield of somebody who's in the process of dying? Oh, that's a wonderful question, and a very rich one, Tammy, because we have, in this nation, so neglected awareness of how we can actively help in this uh, time of transition. It's a huge transition. Most of us are uh, more comfortable with the transition known as birth, and, of course, as a nurse, I've attended many births. But the attending the uh field of someone who is passing on is even more exciting, in my opinion, um, because it is such a merging into uh, the great all, the, that which is beyond our understanding. I think of the human uh, dynamic as uh, an energetic flow from pre-conception into physical conception, into physical birth, and then we have our physical lifetimes, and then there is a move into that transcendent uh, return to where we came from, the great uh, beyond or the great eternal. We are energetic beings above all, 
having a temporary human experience. So when someone leaves uh, their physical body, that is a reunion, as I see it, a graduation from the physical body and its constraints into the wider aspects of soul. Attending uh, someone with consciousness uh, that we teach in healing touch, attending the uh, last days or weeks of someone's life is, is wonderfully enriching. And what we notice is that gradually the field begins to diminish around the lower body, the, the legs, the feet, uh, the uh, hips. Often there will be no more bowel sounds uh, uh, that we can identify with a stethoscope. Uh, the, the field begins to empty as it well, as you might call it, it's an emptying of the physical body so that the energetic body can move up and out of the crown of the head to extend into uh, its eternal uh, form. And that transition, many hospice uh, nurses will know what I'm talking about. Many people who've attended uh, people in the transition of dying will know how how that is a, a glorious time of uh, watching and uh, seeing um, a rebirth into another form that we can't see. That's beyond our physical understanding. And what's left then is is a physical body. It's like a, a used car, so to speak. It's it's just there, and we honor it. But it, it's not the person anymore. The person is the transcendent soul being that really exists beyond this space and time. So if it's okay, I'm going to push a little harder on this, Dorothea, because it's so important to me, really, Mm -hmm. which is what I'm curious about is from your own experiences of being present at such transitions, Mm -hmm. what has given you this clarity, this confidence that there is some continuity beyond the the point where the energy field has fully left the body? Yes, uh, thank you for that question, too. Um, you know, we do have a lot of traditions, a lot of spiritual traditions in all world religions, and I'm emphasizing the mystical side of all the world religions, not necessarily their social forms. But the those uh, patterns, those forms, come from people having watched this... Uh, time of transition. Something else that um, uh, we have in modern times that was not perhaps as well known in uh, previous cultures is the actual accounts of people who've had near-death experiences. So uh, it's estimated now that perhaps 10 million people have had an experience where they died uh, briefly either due to an accident or anaphylactic shock or uh, heart um, uh, impairment, heart stoppage, and then were resuscitated with modern medical means. And so uh, they talk with confidence uh, about that time on the other side, that time beyond the physical leaving and uh, I personally also experienced a near-death uh, time uh, when I was uh, stung by um, numerous um, wild uh, yellow jackets and um, was clinically quite, uh, uh, well, certainly out of my body um, for some time and then uh, returned. And uh, there was just a, such a sense of, of wholeness and oneness about leaving the body that um, didn't bother me at all. The hard part was coming back in. Uh, that was the part that was uh, actually difficult because it uh, was painful and also I realized it, it meant a commitment to really living more fully. Um, but the near-death experiences that have been recorded by people like Moody and uh, Raymond Moody and many other authors uh, suggest that um, moving beyond our physical bodies is not a time of uh, fear or of um, uh, 
terrible sadness, but rather a time of peacefulness and of uh, sensing something that is greater than our uh, what our limited minds can understand, and uh, just just fully um, experiencing more of who we are as human beings. So um, I'd say all all of those experiences combined, the mystical traditions in the uh, major religions, all major world religions, the um, and then the current. Uh, uh, actual factual accounts of people who've had near-death experiences um, would certainly contribute to the fact that there's some some ongoing nature of the soul. And that connection soul to soul, again, is what I think Healing Touch teaches in a very easy-to-learn way, you know, that we we move from just being oriented to ourselves to a place of wanting to be present to another person uh, in need uh, with the fullness of our own heart's energies and our willingness and compassion to be present. Um, So I'd say all those come together in, in my sense that the soul is much bigger than our physical lives at this time. When did that near-death experience happen for you? Uh, I was 27 at the time, and I had three small children who were all stung by the insects at the same time. So I was trying to rescue them and uh, ended up uh, not so well myself. But um, uh, I did ask to come back. I remember as I um, lost consciousness saying, um, if possible, let me come back. Do you feel that that experience was some kind of defining moment, even in the way you've approached the healing touch work? It, it certainly could be. I wasn't really aware of healing touch till much later in my life, and um, certainly began putting things together a little bit when I when I realized, you know, that part of my life is is one of uh, learning more about these subtle energies and learning more about what what I perhaps saw and sensed as a child but then uh, really came to reality as I learned about uh, therapeutic touch and healing touch and realized that um, here's something we can do uh, here on the earth plane to help each other. Well, because I'm interested in you, Dorothea, as well as mm-hmm. healing touch as a modality, can you tell me what those early experiences were in your life that you're referring to? Well, yes. Uh, I grew up in the middle of a war in uh, Berlin, and uh, we had uh, saturation bombing toward the end of the war, and my mother died, and um, I was uh, certainly very much um, oriented toward seeing, uh, looking for people who who could help me, and uh, seeing lights around people, um, people coming down the street. I could either notice uh, they they didn't have any much light around them or they were very vibrant. And um, I, I, I would head for the people that looked more vibrant and asked uh, one of them to uh, come to my house and assist me. I was I was the youngest of several children, but uh, I was the one that recruited our helper by uh, <laughs> seeing her light. So I, I would say that was an early childhood experience that um, helped me greatly. And then uh, more recently, uh, it's just to be able to um, move toward the things that really have meaning for me and and to share that those insights with with the students that we have in uh, practice such as healing touch mm-hmm. so when you work on somebody and you're working with their biofield i mean you mentioned some healing touch practitioners see colors some hear messages you know depending on who they are i'm curious what it's like for you and then what does it feel like when somebody feels really healthy or what kinds of experiences will you have and when somebody's not doing so great Yes. Well, as I mentioned, the field of a healthy person will generally be quite full. You know, it'll feel full and sort of bouncy, spongy. Um, uh, the hands may, may sense sort of a vibration or pulsing. Um, 
and it'll it'll feel balanced. In other words, it'll be equally uh, round or full uh, at all parts at the at the head, at the shoulders, above the abdomen, toward the feet. Um, the healed field of someone who is ill will feel remarkably different. There'll be um, either areas where there's sort of expanded heat or or more volume, or there'll be uh, bumps. You know, it's almost like like uh, if you're on an airplane and you hit a um, cloud, uh, you know, the plane will drop down about 10 feet, and you can feel that. And that's how the hands feel. They're, they're kind of moving along, and all of a sudden there's a dip, you know, just boop, the hands just drop in. Um, I always uh, remember learning uh, that to trust the hands. You know, my mind is sort of on hold when I do an assessment of someone's field, and I just just sense where where the fullness is, where the dips are, where where it's a little bit different, and uh, then uh, ask the person, does that have any meaning for you? And very often, it's an old injury or it's something that is current in their lives um, that has impacted the field in some way. So that's what I sense with the hands. And then I might work with that. And then I pay attention to what clients tell me. So very often they'll say, I can feel your hands. My hands might be uh, 12 inches, 15 inches away from the body. And they tell me they can feel something. They can feel a tingling or they can feel um, kind of like something is letting go. Um, those are pretty, you know, I, I don't prompt these. I just ask clients to tell me what they notice. So they're apparently sensing the field as well and noticing shifts as uh, we work together. Now let's say somebody's listening to this and they think, gosh, you know, I'd love to be trained as a healing touch practitioner. I'd love to be able to help people in this way. But I've never seen lights around anybody and I've never done any healing work. And, you know, I don't know if I'm going to have what it takes. I don't know if I'll be gifted at doing this. Can anybody learn healing touch? Yes. Unqualified. Anyone who's willing. Yes. Um, and that's, again, I'm speaking from the experience of teaching probably 10,000 students. Um, everybody uh, is is potentially good at this. <laughs> don't, it's not, a, not an exam in, in a, a left brain sense. It's a matter of willingness. And often it's a matter of of uh, not trying very hard. You know, it's just just being present. Um, that's the best way I can explain it. In other words, it's an integrative practice. It integrates right and left hemispheres of the brain. Uh, it calls on the resources that probably our ancestors were very good at using. Uh, They're more intuitive sensing. Um, as people discover that they can do this, of course, it's, it's a great, it's very exciting. It's a great moment. They say, well, you know, I really can feel some difference here. Um, it's pretty exciting. I've found that people who are skeptics, in other words, people who ask a lot of good questions, are, are actually a little better at it than people who don't ask. I feel better already. <laughs> So that takes care of uh, all of us with questions because I I think having questions is great, uh, but uh, someone who questions also has the mind that's capable of really observing. And so when you really pay attention to what what is going on here, um, they they begin to get that, yes, there really is some pulsing. There's the hands do indeed uh, uh, sense. Uh, something where things are different. It's always so fascinating when people discover that. So most people, the entry point will be more kinesthetic rather than visual or auditory. And it'll be a felt sense. It might be a felt sense briefly in their own body, but certainly it'll be a sense with the uh, the hands as antenna. And then there'll be that sense of oh, yeah, I get it. There really is a difference between the right and left side of this person's head. And then I might ask them, is there something going on? The person says, yes, I have a a migraine on the left side of my head, which is exactly where I noticed a big fullness, you know, like a big bulge. 
And then that tells me that that means something is is a bit out, a little off. And I can work with that area before the person comes down with a full-blown migraine and all its awful symptoms. Mm-hmm. Now, since anybody can potentially learn healing touch if they're curious, willing, and interested, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I'm wondering if you could take us through, is there a way to get like a little taste of what it might be like working perhaps on some part of ourself that might not be feeling well? Like if we just picked something like, let's say, um, you know, a meal that's hard to digest or something like that. Mm -hmm. I ate too much or I ate the wrong thing or something like that. Right, right. How would I go about starting to explore this with myself? Maybe you could take me through it. Great question, yes. Well, let's start with just a simple um, centering. Again, centering always sounds simple, but it's it's actually um, something that has to be practiced quite a bit. Um, so, uh, a nice deep breath, I would recommend that, and letting go fully of the breath, and then asking for an inflow of the energy that's all available all around us, like think of the sun, sunlight, even on a gray day, there's sunlight out there, the energy of nature, the energy of our beautiful planet. Um, letting some of that come into the heart center, just beginning to feel that in the body and then keeping that sense of inflow of uh, warming, healing energy into the heart area, right in the mid-chest, with a gentle inflow of the breath, gentle outflow of the breath, is keeping that sense of I'm connected to something beyond just this current distress or this current uh, dilemma. And with that, then gently bring the hands that uh, flow from the heart center, bring the hands to the abdomen where the distress might be noted, and gently allowing the hands to move in a clockwise fashion, in other words, to the left, over the body area that feels distressed. So that would be just a gentle clockwise motion over the upper um, stomach area, just below the uh, sternum, just, just below the breastbone. Just a gentle rubbing, keeping the breath flowing, keeping that inflow. In other words, you're doing your own centering as well as sending out through the hands. So you're doing two things, inner centering and the outflow from the hands to the affected area. This might be the lower abdomen as well, if there's cramps or uh, distress in the lower abdomen. Um, might be over a painful knee or a painful joint. Um, there you might want to move from above below with the hands, but in any case, you are allowing your own centered process, your own focused intention on behalf of yourself to go to the body part that is in distress. And after a while, you might notice it feels just a little bit calmer, a little less um, pressured, and then gently let the hands rest there, hands rest on that part of the body. Still keeping that flow, that centered uh, self-connecting uh, flow through the breath and the hands over the area. There are, of course, limits to self-healing because when we're really in pain, it's hard to center. <laughs> so that would be where a practitioner's help would be ideal. I'm glad you brought that up. I was imagining like stubbing my toe or something that's yes. really, really painful. And then it's like, I'm going to be centered. Yeah, acute pain, you might might just, just gently bring the hands to the area that's injured and, and just gently soothe the area. In fact, I've, I've found that that even uh, can stop blood flow or stop the uh, a hematoma from forming. You know, just to bring the hands with your centered intention to that area. Um, allowing that sense of peace and calm 
to go to the area. However, if there's a serious injury, of course, it'd be good to get medical help, and then in addition to medical help, to have the um, rebalancing of the energy over the injured area. That would also be needed. Mm -hmm. Now, Dorothea, even though anyone can learn healing touch, I'm curious, what do you think makes someone a spectacular healing touch practitioner? What are the qualities of such a person? Hmm. Well, we have... We have a number of them because uh, our practice is now 21 years old, and we have uh, practitioners who have been at it as long as I have, and uh, wonderful, wonderful people, uh, men and women, um, worldwide teaching and, and practicing and enjoying relative good health, you know, relatively better health than um, people who don't do uh, their own centering practices or healing work. So it's very exciting to see uh, these advanced practitioners. Um, I think what what makes uh, them uh, especially successful is that they've continued uh, their willingness to learn from every uh, situation, a willingness to learn, uh, curiosity, ability to observe, um, and ability to have effective self-care. That makes someone an outstanding practitioner. It builds um, sort of a resilience to the uh, bumps of uh, the world, all the pressures and tensions most people have in their lives. And it builds in a sense of there's a connectedness, there's a rootedness to something greater than our personal selves. There's a sense in which we're all interconnected, and that sense of harmony really brings us to to a place of uh, vibrant inner peacefulness. So what I see in, in advanced um, long-term practitioners is that sense of inner peace, inner confidence, um, uh, beauty, great beauty, um, uh, I think I mentioned in the book uh, the getting on the elevator with a group of healing touch practitioner. We we got on the elevator and I I just had this instant hit. I'm so surrounded by goodness. This is a wonderful experience. And just as I said that to myself, the elevator got stuck between floors. Mm-hmm. And unlike uh, what usually happens when an elevator gets stuck. Uh, these wonderful practitioners all started centering themselves and started helping each other through elevator fears. <laughs> and, you know, it was just, oh, oh, we can do this. Let's let's help each other here. What can we do here? And there, we had one person who was especially anxious, so we did a little release for for her anxieties. We had such a good time that when the elevator uh, got unstuck and we had to get off, uh, we actually were disappointed. (laughs) So so that's what makes someone a good healer, being able to be present to the moment uh, in a difficult time. That's a great story. You know, I was going to ask you if you'd seen any, you know, quote-unquote miracles or things that really surprised mm-hmm. you. But uh, getting stuck in an elevator and having everybody be positive and helpful, that might be a, the greatest miracle you could cite right there. That's pretty good. I yeah, think. it really is. <laughs> and, the, and the people that, that released us from the elevator were, were so surprised that we didn't rush to get off. <laughs> you know? they, they expected us to just bounce out of there, you know, like... Sure. And Light, and instead we were we were acknowledging each other and, and oh what a good time we had and <laughs> it was quite a quite a different experience. <laughs> but uh, joking aside, I am curious if you've seen anything happen in terms of physical healing that has really surprised you. Like wow, I knew healing touch helped, but this is surprising even me. Yes. Well, uh, I'm always surprised to tell you the truth, Tammy, and and that's partly because I am a good skeptic. Uh, I ask a lot of questions, and um, I, I do observe, and I learn from what I observe. Um, so I, I don't have any great faith uh, that something is going to happen. I don't have any attachment to outcome. 
I just I just sort of am always amazed, always. Um, and that's been going on since I started uh, practicing uh, therapeutic touch back in 1980. So um, I would say one of the more recent, uh, well, little miracles I saw, a friend of mine uh, was out um, doing a charity call uh, to chop wood for um, a very poor person in uh, my neighborhood, and uh, he had a, a new machine that he didn't quite know how to work, and the machine landed full force on his fourth finger and totally mashed it, laid it open with the the bone exposed. So the whole finger was um, mashed and uh, bone was exposed and, of course, bleeding and uh, really painful. And... Um, he uh, went to the emergency room, and they sewed it up, but he still continued to have a great deal of pain and called me, so I had an opportunity to um, gently move my hands over his area uh, of injury after centering, of course, um, and and could really feel the, the just the heat of intense pain coming off that finger, and um, I moved my hands approximately from his elbow and off the uh, fingers that had been injured and um, released uh, that tension or that congestion uh, to the earth. And I did that repeatedly uh, about ten times. And the tenth time, uh, at the same time that he said, I feel a tingle, I, I felt like a little electric charge. Um, it was just a very intense little electric charge. And he uh, said the reason that was so important to him was that the doctor had told him that he would not have any <clears throat> any feeling in that finger for probably six months, uh, nerve-wise, nerve tingling. And, in fact, he had it that instant. And it healed very quickly, and uh, the bandage was off in two weeks. So he, he uh, I've, I've worked with him before. He was hit by, this man gets into trouble. I guess retirement is hard on some people. <laughs> he, he, um, he was hit by a um, tractor uh, on the head and uh, had a lot of pain. Nothing, nothing could be diagnosed uh, from a... Uh, medical point of view, but just a lot of head pain and uh, some emotional confusion. And I did two treatments um, with Healing Touch uh, with his head, and he has not had any difficulty since. So uh, he and his wife were both um, not... Uh, uh, they don't even understand Healing Touch. They, they recommend me highly to everybody they know. So it's an interesting uh, thing just to to notice what happens, yeah, and uh, surprises. Thank you for describing those two instances. I just have uh, two final questions for you, Dorothea, uh-huh. and, and here's the first one. Your new book that you're publishing with Sounds True, Healing Touch, Essential Energy Medicine for Yourself and Others, is really a type of handbook, if you will, that introduces mm-hmm. Healing Touch to everyone, to anyone and everyone who might be interested. And I'm curious what your vision is, the vision of possibility for how Healing Touch might be adopted in the world. Well, um, as as I've suggested, Healing Touch is available to everyone who wants to learn it, and it certainly is um, needed uh, by everyone who who is suffering in some way, emotional or uh, physical distress. So uh, there's a huge need in our planet right now uh, in both arenas. Uh, we seem to be having war, disasters, uh, nature-caused disasters, as well as human-caused disasters. It doesn't seem to be ending anytime soon. And I think the presence of a caring neighbor who can offer healing touch, the presence of a caring parent who can offer healing touch to a child, the presence of a caring teacher who can um, 
help in the school system. Um, the applications are, are as many as we can possibly imagine. All of us have situations where we can offer to help someone in need. Uh, so I think the applications are very wide. The uh, vision of uh, the early uh, participants in Healing Touch, including our founder, Janet Minkin, always was that Healing Touch is for everyone and that it uh, needs to be available worldwide. And that is gradually happening. We have uh, worldwide groups uh, learning these methods. Um, we have um, excellent uh, practitioners. Over 3,000 are now certified. Uh, we have, I think, several hundred instructors. Um, and uh, the people who have heard about this work um, all are, are impressed that it, it really is relevant to our time, not, not to have a non-invasive, non-medical um, um, resource or an additional resource, something that complements um, conventional medical care or that can, can be present when uh, medical care is either not needed or not available. Uh, those would be uh, my vision for the future, mm-hmm. you know, to really see that uh, happening more and more. And I don't necessarily restrict it just to the practice of feeling touch. It may be uh, an energy medicine practitioner who, who is able to uh, work in psychotherapy or who can relieve uh, uh, distress and anxiety um, in other ways. But, but healing touch is a, is a good base, um, good fundamental and um, conceptual program to start with energy mm-hmm. uh, medicine. And then just one final question for you, mm-hmm. which is our, our program's called Insights at the Edge. And I'm always curious, and in your case especially so, someone who is clearly an elder who has accomplished so much, given so much, and in many ways seems very at peace with yourself and your life path, what is, quote-unquote, your edge? And, and what I mean by edge is that edge of growth or challenge or something maybe that seems difficult for you or where you really feel you're growing right now. Is there such an edge? Well, golly, uh, that's a a wonderful question, Tammy. You're really good at these questions. I'd say the growing edge is is to successfully um, manage what's left of my long and uh, precious life. And for for most of us, um, uh, every year has its own challenges. They may be physical, they may be emotional. Um, it may be uh, relational, um, and events in our families, um, needs that come up. But but that's uh, I see that as the edge. You know, every day is an adventure, and every day has its uh, challenges. You know that um, there's something that we need to face in new ways. Um, I work a lot with people in the aging process. Um, trying to move them from the idea of retirement to uh, refirement, you know, getting fired up about life, um, living as fully as possible to that last breath. And um, so uh, I'd say that's the the edge uh, that uh, all of us have, whatever chronological age we're in is to to live as fully as possible, to give as much as possible, because in giving we we receive. There's no question about that. There have actually been studies done to show that altruism is one of the great healing uh, potentials that we um, often underuse, you know, giving to other people, whether it's um, in time or effort or or even from the, the financial realm, is, is just such a heartwarming, heart-expanding action that it helps us to live longer and more insightfully and more fully. And uh, we always receive more than we 
could possibly give. Well, I uh, so appreciate your generosity here in this conversation. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you. A wonderful question. Dorothea Hover-Kramer is the author of a new book from Sounds True. It's called Healing Touch, Essential Energy Medicine for Yourself and Others. And it's a truly comprehensive introduction to Healing Touch, a practice you can use for self-care or in your home working with your family. Very beautiful. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.